So a few years ago, uh, 2,000 people in Indianapolis were polled trying to gauge the top worries of people in that area. And so they came up with a top 20 list of worries, again, for about 2,000 people that were polled who live in Indianapolis. And here were some of the things included in the list of top 20 worries. My pet's health, it's true. My fashion sense, whether or not I'm attractive. My physique, my wrinkles or aging appearance worries me. I'm worried about my savings or financial future. And the number one worry among the 2,000 people polled in Indianapolis, can you guess it? Anybody? What is it? No. That the Colts will win? No, because that's not going to happen. Anybody else? Aging. Getting old. Now, I really want to poke fun at the people in Indianapolis who were in that poll, and then I realize I'm a recovering worrier. I worry about all sorts of things that really don't matter in the grand scheme. For example, I worry about my Philadelphia Eagles football team. When I watch the game, if they are uh, behind in the game, I worry about them catching up. And if they're leading, I worry about them blowing the lead. Uh, My heart races, and I think that somehow... My worry will will my team to win. It's ridiculous. But not all worries are trivial. Actually, some worries that we have are God Goliath-sized. They're, they're just big. So not all of our worries are petty. Not all of us are worrying about whether or not these pants make me look fat or, or if there's wrinkles uh, that people can see the wrinkles of aging around my eyes or if the service will get out early enough that I can get a table at the sirloin stockade. I mean, that, those are some trivial worries, but then there's some big ones. One of my preacher worries is, is that I will stand up on Sunday morning and have nothing of substance to say about God. Some of you are worried about the same thing, I'm sure. We worry about the health of our loved ones. We worry about the flourishing of our kids. Uh, We worry about making financial ends meet. We worry about meeting deadlines. Uh, We worry about the future of the Lakeview Wesleyan Church. We worry about the opioid crisis in Grant County. We worry about the political polarization in America and how it's tearing apart friends and family members. We have a lot of things to worry about, don't we? Goliath-sized worries, not just trivial stuff. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, had a lot to say about worry, a lot. And before we turn there, I just want to describe for you the kind of audience, the original audience that Jesus was speaking to during the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is not one complete sermon that Jesus preached in one setting at one time. These are snippets of teaching that Jesus uh, gave that were brought together. But by and large, the people that Jesus attracted to his teaching and preaching were peasant farmers, the poor, the marginalized. Uh, they, They were attracted to Jesus because he gave them a sense of worth and dignity and esteem that they did not have. And so they were worried about mostly economic issues, the the peasant Jews that Jesus spoke to. They were farmers. But not only were they worried about economic concerns, they were also worried about politics, like a lot of us are. Uh, 
In that day, Jesus and the, the Jewish peasant farmers he was speaking to were controlled by the Roman government. You know this. In the first century of Palestine, the Jews were occupied by the pagan Romans who controlled the Jewish people. Um, so they, were, they, had some econ, uh, they had some political concerns as well as economic concerns. And then, and then they had some religious concerns. So, so the religious leaders of the Jews, the Sadducees, the priests who controlled the temple... They were pretty corrupt. In fact, uh, uh, the Roman government told the Sadducees, the priests, the Jewish religious leaders, that, that if, you just, if you just keep the peace among the, your Jewish people, uh, if, you, if you keep any revolt or re- rebellion from stirring up, if you keep the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, then we Romans will let you Jewish priests, the Sadducees, will let you maintain all of the power and wealth that comes into the temple. You can have it all. Just keep the peace. Which is why the Sadducees got so mad at Jesus and got him arrested and then crucified because they saw Jesus as a threat to the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. They thought Jesus was going to usher in a revolt, a rebellion among the Jewish people against the Romans. And that would threaten the Sadducees, the priests, power, their wealth. Now I tell you all that so that you know that the people Jesus was speaking to in the Sermon on the Mount were people with big-time worries, economic, political, and religious. I just don't want us to think, well, those first-century Palestinian country bumpkins, they didn't have a care in the world. That's not true. In fact, they had more reason to worry than 21st-century Americans do. And in light of that, here is what Jesus had the audacity to tell them and tell us in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 6 of Matthew, uh, verses 25 and following. Jesus went up on the mountain, he sat down to teach them, and he said, Therefore, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about your body, what you will wear? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Now, I want you to notice that in that, sh- that brief teaching from Jesus, three times he says the same thing. Do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. As far as I know from my reading of Scripture, there is not another time in the Bible in such a brief passage where God or Christ told us the same thing the same way three times. So clearly Jesus wants us to get this. The Greek word he uses for worry is maramnate, which means uh, to be anxious, to, to, uh, to tear into pieces, to be divided, to pull in opposite directions. And Jesus knows that every time we are consumed with worry, it's like it tears us to pieces, it divides our attention, it diverts and dilutes and distracts our focus from God. And he knows it. And Jesus gives two great examples, illustrations, sermon illustrations, for how to be worry-free. The first one is for men. You know, preachers tell illustrations for men and some for women, and sometimes they're for both. But the first one is, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Jesus is talking to males who are farmers. And he's saying, if God provides food for the birds that don't do anything but fly... Surely he's going to provide for you farmers who are working the land. And then Jesus has an illustration for women. See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet look how beautifully they clothe the grass of the field, which doesn't matter much at all. He's speaking to women who were, uh, in that culture, those who labored and spin, not like spin, but spin yarn to make clothing. And it was, it was very labor-intensive for women. And he's telling women that if if God clothes the grass of the field, which really doesn't do anything, he's going to clothe you who labor and spin. Bottom line is this. Here's what Jesus is saying in a nutshell. The root cause of worry is a lack of trust in God. First century Palestinian Jews worried about food and drink and clothing. What do 21st century Americans worry about? Shout them out. You can shout in church. I'm inviting you to. Food. What else do we worry about? Clothing. What's that? Money. Status. Children. Lord, help us. What's that? Work. What's that? Say it again. Oh, yeah, school. Yeah, of course, of course. We worry about, let's just say it, every stinking thing we can worry about. And the problem with that is that worry does damage in every way to our lives. I love what Corey Ten Boom said about worry. She said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Worry saps our vitality. It sucks the life right out of us. And when we're worried about a lot of different things, uh, we're tempted to seek out unhealthy escapes from our worry, like alcohol and drugs and overeating or entertainment, like binge-watching our favorite TV shows, binge-watching This Is Us or, or Green Arrow or if things are really bad, Downton Abbey, right? <laughs> Worry causes incredible uh, emotional 
distress. It makes us sick emotionally. We can't focus on anything. We can't be attentive to the person right in front of us because we have a thousand worries dividing us in half, pulling us apart, tearing us to pieces. Worry uh, leads to debilitating depression. We feel like we're walking around our day-to-day life carrying a hundred-pound backpack. It weighs us down. And then there's, there's, there's physical damage that's caused by worry. You know this. Ulcers. Heart disease. It decreased, diminished lifespan. I mean, worry does a lot of damage to us. Like, there's a lot of science. There's proof behind this. Worry messes us up physically, relationally, emotionally, and yes, spiritually. Spiritually, worry is like walking around with a blindfold that keeps us from seeing the presence and the power of God right in front of us. If you're consumed with worry, you cannot, you will not see God. You can't. Because you're trying to keep all the worries, the balls in the air. This video illustrates what I'm talking about. Check this video out. Yeah. While we're juggling all the balls of our worry and concern in the air, catching and passing, catching and passing, catching and passing, if we're consumed with the worry, the stuff, even the small stuff, we will miss the moonwalking bear of God's grace when it passes right in front of us. And I don't want to miss it. And as your pastor, I don't want you to miss it. So Jesus gives us the antidote. The antidote to worrying about life is trusting in God. It's not rocket science, but it's easier said than done. And how do you trust in God? You can't just snap your fingers and make the worry go away and the trust surface. Jesus tells us exactly how to do it. Verse 33, here's the the answer to how you trust. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first. Because when you seek God, you'll see God. And when you see God for who he is, you will trust God. Seek God, see God, see God, trust God. When you seek him, you'll see him and you will be full of trust for him because he's bigger than any 
reality, any struggle, any worry you're facing. He's just bigger. The Greek word for, uh, for seek is zeteo. Say it with me. Zeteo. Say it again. Zeteo. Now you have a Greek word. Uh, it means seek, probe, investigate, get to the bottom of, crave, long for. That's what seek means. And it's a present tense verb, which in the Greek doesn't so much connote time, but kind of action. So what Jesus is saying is, by using the present tense of seek, is to not just one time when you get saved, seek God, and you're done. Using the present tense means a constant, continual, nonstop seeking, probing, craving, longing for God, His kingdom, His righteousness. question is, will we focus more on the size of our Goliath, our worry, or the size of our God? That's really what this boils down to. If we focus on, on the Goliath-sized worry, God will seem small and distant. But if we focus on the size and scope of our God, Goliath will seem wimpy. Our worry will seem wimpy. Think about David. David going up against Goliath. I love that story. And I think David is the epitome of someone who sought after God. Zateo, crave, long for, be enamored with God. Like David goes into this fight with a giant and he has no idea how outmatched he is. He's totally outmatched. Because in David's mind, the battle was not between him and Goliath, but between God and Goliath. And God is bigger than Goliath. Like, the Vegas odds on this thing was like a thousand to one in favor of Goliath. Uh, you know, Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith, first take Sports Center, ESPN, they're all laughing at the, at the sort of the, uh, the way David is outmatched. He doesn't have a chance. They're scoffing. The tail of the tape is like this, right? So you have in the, in the blue corner, uh, Weighing 140 pounds, measuring 5 feet 8 inches tall with a 25-inch reach and a record of zero wins and zero losses is David the shepherd boy. And then in the blue, in the red corner, you have uh, a guy who weighs over 300 pounds. He's over 7 feet tall. He's got a 100-inch reach. His uh, record is 75 wins, zero losses. He's Goliath the giant. David doesn't have a chance. But again, David doesn't see this as a battle between Goliath and him. It's between Goliath and God. And though Goliath may be bigger than David, Goliath is not bigger than God. And David knows it because David is enamored with God. David is the epitome of someone who seeks after God. And in the face of Goliath-sized worry, all David could see is the power and the glory of God. David's enamored with God. He writes these poetic songs that he sings to God called Psalms. David seeks after God by praying as if his life depends on the presence and the power of God, not upon his position or his possessions. David is not worried about how people will view him. He's worried about the glory of God, which is why David as king is humiliating himself, dancing half naked before the entire nation, celebrating God, and they're mocking him and laughing at him, but he doesn't care what people think of him. All he cares about is the glory of God. 
He's not worried about paying his mortgage on the palace. He's too worried about raising money to build a house for God, the temple. David has a one-track mind. God. We get to choose every moment of every day whether we will worry about life, Goliaths, or trust in God. You get to pick the winner every time. Because if you focus on the worry, you can't see God. And if you focus on God, you don't care about the worries. It's like this. Um, Put your thumb out in front of you, okay? Like this. Everybody do it. I'm going to watch and see and make sure everybody's doing it. It's the professor in me. Letter grade reduction if you're not. Okay, so put your thumb out to the cross. This is silly, I know, but I hope it sticks in your head. Put your thumb out, okay? Now, when you focus on the thumb, your Goliath, your worries, what happens to the cross? It's small. It's dim. Disappears. And the thumb of worry seems a lot bigger than it really is. Now, focus on the cross, the presence and power of God, the size and scope of God. What happens to the thumb? It's peripheral, small, almost invisible. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Say it with me. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. When you seek God first, you see God. And when you see God for who He is and how He is, you trust Him. It's funny to me that our money, our green, has on every dollar bill, on every ten, every hundred, every, every, every piece of paper that money is in God we trust. Isn't that funny? That on the thing we tend to trust is a reminder to trust God? I can't help but think God orchestrated that as a sort of irony. How trustworthy is God? I... Uh, I told you I'm a bit of a chronic worrier, a recovering worrier. I was, um, seven years ago, uh, one of our children got diagnosed with some issues, um, had some medical issues as well. And uh, during that season of my life, I was a wreck. I was worried constantly. I wasn't just worried about tomorrow for my kid. I was worried about the next 5, 10, 15 I was projecting way into his future. And at the time when I was consumed with worry, when that was all I could see, uh, God seemed terribly distant. I felt abandoned by God. I felt like he took off. And he didn't. He was there. I was just so focused on the thumb, I couldn't see him. I lost the battle in in that season. But at some point, by the grace of God, I said enough is enough. And I went to a monastery for three days to seek after God. Uh, It's hard to get in trouble at a monastery with a bunch of monks. So I knew that was the place for me to go. And I was doing a 24-hour fast from speech. So no talking, not even praying out loud. Just no, I didn't want to hear my voice. 
So I was praying with images and I was looking with my eyes at messages God was giving me in nature. Um, Seeking after God, pure and simple, as best I could. And while I was seeking God, I saw God. I had this weird, beautiful vision of Jesus riding on a white horse out west with a wooden stake in his hand. And he comes to a piece of land and he pulls back on the horse and he throws his stake in the ground, staking his claim. And God, through that weird, beautiful vision, said to me, Len, your child belongs to me. I stake my claim on his life. I've got it. He's mine. Now, I don't know if it was the monk Fudge that gave me that vision. (laughs) Fudge that has more bourbon than fudge in it? I don't know. It does. All I know is that for the last seven years, I've gone back to that image. And it has given me peace and confidence and trust in a God I cannot see but know is more real than the thumb in front of my face and that he's got my kids and his love for my kids exceeds my love for them. God's got it. I don't know what your biggest worry is, but I know that God is bigger. (laughs) Seek first God's kingdom. When you seek God, you see God, and when you see God, Trust God. But you've got to seek Him first. So i, I got a, a, another illustration. I'm just trying to stick these images in your head so you can't forget them. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, we're going to figure out a way to visualize Matthew 6.33. Okay? So let's imagine, let's imagine that this, could you see, let me move this out of the way. Let's imagine that... Uh, What's in the jar now is our life, right? This is our life. And what's already in there are the worries, the, the, the food, the drink, the clothing, the job, the school, the stresses and pressures of life, and things that are very important. Uh, I tried to find sand, by the way. Couldn't find sand, so I have kitty litter in here. Got my daughter a cat, and I do not want to talk about it. The worries are in there already. If you fill your life with the worry, and then you try to seek his kingdom, and his righteousness with the rocks. You try to fit the rocks in. Seek his kingdom. Yeah, let's try to squeeze God in there. His righteousness. Yeah, it's not going to fit. Worry squeezes God flat out of our lives. But, if we seek first God's kingdom... And his righteousness, let's see what happens. So let's, let's put in, let's seek God first, his kingdom. Let's put in, uh, seeking his kingdom means serving his purposes, right? It means that no matter how busy we are, uh, we're not going to de- develop our schedule around uh, climbing the corporate ladder so we get rich and successful and famous and can pad our resume. If there's something more important to lo- than, in life than earning a paycheck, 
that building God's kingdom is actually more important. So we're going to serve the purposes of God. We're going to work with youth and children. Lord, help us. We're going to, we're going to uh, be a part of men's, women's ministry. We're going to be uh, uh, going on the mission field. We're going to be uh, seeking ways to share the gospel in Grant County with our neighbors and friends. We're going to seek first God's kingdom. We're going to make time and energy for it. We're going to serve God, seek God's kingdom, and we're going to give to the purposes of God. I want to know that at least 10% of my income is not going to Meyer and Walmart, but to the purposes of God through the church. Building God's kingdom first means putting your money where your mouth is, tithing your income, giving the missions, seeking God's kingdom first. And then we're going to seek his righteousness first. So I have a busy life. If you're busy, I'll compare my schedule to you. I'm working two jobs right now, and I have three kids and three sports. I'm a sports caddy. I'm not a father anymore. But I'm going to make time for prayer, seeking his righteousness, so that his holiness is cultivated in me. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to read my Bible, not just to check it off the checklist, but to read God's word as if my life depended on it and apply it to my life and meditate on it. So I'm going to seek God's kingdom, serving and giving. I'm going to seek his righteousness, praying and Bible study, devotional life, and then we'll see what fits. Let's grab the kitty litter. This is gross. I don't think the cat used this yet, but I'm not sure. I would know. The foods, the drink, the clothes. Let's see what we can fit in here. Put the rocks in first. Will it all fit? What do you think? Oh, got to do a little shaky shake. get the point by now. (laughs) Seek first his kingdom. Put the rocks in first, his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well, and it will all fit. One of the ways we seek God first as a church and trust in him is by praying. Prayer to God in the face of Goliath-sized worries and challenges is one of the most subversive things we can do. It's basically saying, I trust God despite what's going on around me. It's subversive. It's saying, my hope is not in green. My hope is not in government. My hope is not in Goliath. My hope is in my God. When you get up to pray, that's what you're doing. 
I was hesitating on whether or not to share this with you, but I want to share it anyway, because I think it's probably the right thing to do. In October, we had, uh, we had our friend month, you remember, and we had eight times where we invited you, the church, to join us in prayer. Thursday at noon, fasting and prayer. Saturday evening from 6 to 7 to pray. All church prayer times. Because we recognize, and you recognize, that in this season of transition as a church, if our best days are ahead of us, if we're going to maximize this season, we're going to have to seek the face of God. We need God. Yes? Yes? There should be no question about that. So it was about our sixth time praying, our sixth hour of prayer. And uh, I won't give exact numbers, but let's just say the average attendance at this all-church prayer meeting, the eight times we prayed, uh, was so small I could count on two hands. All-church prayer times. And I wasn't angry. I, wasn't, I was disappointed, frankly, and concerned for you. And I was on my knees right at this spot, starting to weep. And I said, God, wake up the Lakeview Wesleyan Church. Help us to see our potential is here. And help us to have a sense of urgency about reaching our potential for building the kingdom, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness on earth as it is in heaven. Why is there seven of us praying in a church of 300? And here's what I heard God say. And I'm not a God spoke to me all the time kind of person. My wife will tell you that. I'm very reluctant to say this. Here's what I heard. God said, the decisions that Lakeview Wesleyan Church makes in the next year will determine the next 20 years of its impact. And the only way to discern the best decisions will be through corporate prayer. Praying firstly, fiercely, frequently together. And if we cannot pray together as if our life depends on it, we will miss the boat of opportunity to build God's kingdom. And today we start. I invite you during this closing song to seek the kingdom of God for the Lakeview Wesleyan Church. I want you to to not worry about what the guy in pew six, stage left, thinks of you if you come forward or if your pants make you look frumpy. You just get up, bring your Goliath to the altar as a subversive act saying that I believe God is bigger than any financial Goliath, health Goliath, church Goliath, relational Goliath, whatever Goliath. God is bigger than your Goliath, yes? Stand with me and sing. And if so led, bring your Goliath to the altar and subversively seek his kingdom. Would you pray with me if you're not already praying at the altar? Father, you've asked us to trust. Help us to do that. In the words of the man who had much to worry about and yet believed that you could work, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Help our tendency to not trust. 
because you are higher and greater than any little thing, any little thumb that we're looking at. Help us to trust. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And now, as you leave here, would you leave trusting that God is bigger than anything that's facing you today or this week? Would you trust and believe and obey? You are sent out.